if you can remember little tidbits about someone, that makes them feel special. They didn't have to win the class, but you know what? They got their name called. They got their name recognized. And little things like that go so far to providing value in our industry. on the rail at a jog, please, on the rail at a jog. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of On the Rail Podcast. Today's guest, I'm super excited to get to talk to her. Working horse shows and all of that fun stuff in the office is something that I've been passionate about for a long time, so super excited to talk to Miss Kathy here. So without further ado, I'll let her introduce herself as the owner of an equine production, and we'll go from there. Awesome. Thank you, Liz and Jenna. I am Kathy Avald. I am from Lafayette, Indiana, which is an hour northwest of Indianapolis. At least my mail comes here when I am on the road. I have been doing this, goodness, about 25 years-ish in one form or another. I was not a breed exhibitor growing up, so kind of came about the management side of things as a, I don't want to say accidental, but, you know, it just happened, if you will. So if you said you didn't do the breed things, did you show otherwise? I did. I had an amazing gelding that was a 10 jogger and a minus 10 loper, and... (laughs) He couldn't lope his way out of a wet paper bag if he tried, but I did 4-H and the open shows growing up. I had some amazing horses that had all of the bells and whistles or what I thought were bells and whistles at the time. Now it would be, you know, almost frowned upon, but they taught me a lot and they taught me patience and it was great growing up. We lived on about a hundred acres up until my freshman year of college, or freshman year of high school, pardon me, where you got home from school and you went out to the barn and you played and you played cowboys and Indians if you wanted to. So it wasn't until I was about 10, I think, 10 or 11, that I started into 4-H and, you know, started doing the open shows and just having fun. My mom would drive me to the horse shows And we would get there first thing in the morning. And because you had to get there early enough to where you could circle around so you were faced out so you didn't have to back up to leave. (laughs) That's a good trick in the book. Yes. (laughs) There's still still days that I hold my own trailer. I'm like, okay, just get there early and face it outward so you don't have to worry about it. But I learned a lot growing up and I learned a lot on multiple different horses that made you appreciate one that knew its leads, knew how to neck rein, wouldn't try to eat you. I mean, and and times have changed, but at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's still that equine athlete that you love, appreciate, some days loathe, 
because things don't go right. But I had some great horses growing up that just taught me a lot and patience. Oh, they taught me so much patience. Do you still have horses today? I do not. My old barn now stores clear plastic totes with horse show names on them so that on day 366 from the previous year, I can get rid of them and my garden tractor. So that's what's in my barn. Okay. So no more horse showing for you directly, just no. just the nope. management side. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. When did you give up horses on your own then? Oh, I think my freshman year of college. Okay. Freshman or sophomore year in college, I went to pre-university and I graduated. Go Boilers. And I, I think my freshman year, I was on the Western team. And it was one of those things that I drove past my house to go out to a barn to ride someone else's horse. And it was kind of like those light bulb moments of like, wait a minute, what, what you're driving past your own horse. And I then just decided that it made more sense for me to ride my own horse and just help with the team. I was a great horse handler for a semester. And then I lost my gelding and I moved into town and just have not gotten back into having an animal, a horse, because just my lifestyle doesn't allow for it. I tell people that I love dogs. I just don't have the lifestyle for a dog. Cats are a little bit easier. I get my horse fixed by being at the horse show. And you are at a lot of those. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. When did managing horse shows kind of start entering your life then? Years ago, my 4-H club, when I was about 16, had three single judged quarter horse shows. And this was the days of the singles where you started that morning and you finished that evening and you showed every single class you could that day. And then you did it all again the next day with a different judge. And I knew I couldn't compete at that horse show nor afford to compete at that horse show. So I just kind of helped out with my local 4-H club. And we did those singles for probably three years, maybe four. And this was at the beginning of when the split combines started to come around. And long before the multiple judges, but you know, maybe the one to two split combined type judges. And it just kind of flowed into that. My 4-H club, I think we did the quarter horse shows for four or five years. And then it just wasn't financially viable for them. It was becoming very time-consuming, getting the volunteers to help. We had an amazing lady that she brought her motorhome to the fairgrounds. And every single class, we would take the results over to her in her motorhome. And she would type on a typewriter, not a computer, the roster after every single class. And yeah, so it was quite, you know, eye-opening to do that. And then I became involved with Indiana Quarter Horse. Towards the end of college, I needed an internship. And the Indiana Quarter Horse Journal at the time, I just approached the editor. I said, hey, I need an internship. Would you be willing? And she was maybe 20 minutes from my house. So I drove out to her house a couple of times a week and I helped her with the magazine. 
And so I became involved with Indiana Quarter Horse that way. And then when the website era came around, I helped create and maintain their website. And then I did the Indiana Journal for, oh goodness, five or six years maybe. And I was at a show in Greencastle, Indiana with a girlfriend. I was truly the groom tote holder. And their announcer did not show up. And I'm like, well, it's, you know, it's, it's all good. Because I had a, a competitive speech background where every Saturday I would be at a speech meet and I would compete in three to five different events. So they were scrambling to find an announcer. And I just said, oh, this is fine. I'll go upstairs and do it. And that's kind of how it started. I did, I volunteered for probably four years. Again, this was all in the paper and pencil type era of horse shows. And then Mark Harrell, who I purchased this company from, one year Mark called me and said, hey, can I pay you to come down and announce a horse show? And that's kind of how everything started. It was purely accidental of how I got into it. And, you know, times have changed and trends have changed. And so where you're not necessarily paper and pencil anymore, you know, it's still the competition and gathering with other friends and family and you go to the horse show, you just do it in a little bit more of an advanced technology type setting. And when did you purchase? January of 2017. Okay. So gosh, what's that? Six, We're going almost on seven, seven years. Yeah. yeah seven, seven years ago now. Okay. What was like when you first got it to where the business is today? A little overwhelming at times, you know, that thought of, oh, what did I do? But it's been very good. I've had some amazing people that have provided insight, suggestions, willingness to let me pick their brains that, you know, I had a pretty good idea of what needed to happen. And you just kind of make it work. You go and the perfect horse show does not exist. And I don't care who you are in what part of the country or even the, the world, the perfect horse show does not exist. You just strive to make it as welcoming and smooth and enjoyable for the masses. And we joke that the perfect horse show is eight to six. <laughs> which, right. You know, some days you're very successful at that. And then some days, not at all. But if you start on time, in most cases, you finish on time. And everybody has that joke or the meme of, you know, a family friend or non-horse person that says, I want to come and watch you show. When do you show? And you tell them, oh, I show anywhere from eight to six in the day. And no, no, you know, what time? And so, yes, in a perfect world, we would like to say you are going to show your class at 1155, but it's just not possible. But again, if we can start on time, we can finish on time and you can still have some sleep. You can still have dinner. You can school for the next day. You can enjoy your friends that are around you. 
You can see people that you only get to see at a horse show. So many of our relationships, they may not be blood family, but you only see them at a horse show and your best friend can live five, six, seven states away that you only get to talk to or text or Snapchat or whatever. And then all of a sudden you're back at a horse show and it's as though nothing has happened. You're you're right there with them. And I think that is one of the best things about our industry is that the friendships and the relationships that you build and maintain and value, distance is, it doesn't really matter. How often are you on the road yourself? How often are you home, if that's easier? (laughs) Um, This time of year, I am home a lot. We do one show in October, which is a paint show. We don't do anything against the Congress. And then we don't do anything against the AQ World Show. So October and November, I am home a lot, maybe a little more than I should be. The leg has started to bounce and, (laughs) you know, and the weather has turned. So it's not like I can go outside and and do as many things as I would like. But I want to say I'm on the road or in a hotel about between 220 and 230 nights a year. I see your post on Facebook about when you're traveling and always Uh enjoy your humor, your airport humor. You know, some days you just, (laughs) you just sit and you watch people and people watching, I don't care where you are. People watching can be so enjoyable. That's fascinating. (laughs) It helps with the am I normal? Am I normal? And just when you think you aren't normal, and then you get into a situation where you see something, you're like, oh, I am normal. Oh, I feel so much better about myself. So. Right. I was like, if you can identify what even normal is anymore, then you're probably doing better than I am. Oh, goodness. (laughs) Normal is so open for interpretation that it just amazes me. It truly, truly amazes me. So it's just, you got to open your eyes sometimes and Take your face away from a screen and just look around you because there's so much that you can learn and enjoy just by watching. I fully agree on that. So for equine protection, what are some of the shows you guys manage for some of our listeners that maybe don't Uh know? We do the many of the Indiana Quarter Horse shows, the... Shamrock Shuffle, the Indiana Youth, the IQHA State Show. We do the C-Bar-C Winter Circuit, which is also in Cloverdale. Very honored to be with those. And then we also do shows in Georgia, the Georgia On My Mind. They have a May summer kickoff, the Big A. We're in Texas for the Texas Classic and the Aggie Circuit. We are in Florida for the Gold and the Gulf Coast. We are returning to Florida for the 2024 World Equestrian Centers, the Ocala portion, for the Sudden Impulse and the Orange Blossom. We are with Southern Ohio at the Challenge in Springfield, Ohio, and the Madness. Oh, goodness, I know I'm forgetting. Oh, Silver Dollar in Las Vegas. I know I'm forgetting somebody, and this is terrible. So, yeah, we're at several states We've been in other states, and there are great, great groups and great affiliates that still to this day 
with professional show management, there are so many true volunteers that still exist. They may not be able to be there from start to finish, but having someone just go to get water or go get snacks or, hey, can you run this to arena number five? They all are so important to the operation of a horse show. Millennial Cowgirl is a marketing and media company where we offer on-site content creation for the equine industry. Everything from amateurs, professional trainers, facilities, and product supply companies. Come to us for any of your media, marketing, and content creation needs. Find us on our website at millennialcowgirl.com or on Facebook and Instagram. We always joke that every show exhibitor should have to be in some way helpful to the show itself, like maybe in the office or running a gate or, you know, maybe announcing if somebody needs something. Could you maybe explain how those experiences for you? Because I know you said that you've done various roles doing horse shows. Do you think that's influenced you at all in the way that you do your show management side? Absolutely. I have told this story on numerous occasions, but One of my first jobs, we were at the opening of Seabar C. I want to say 2012, 2013, maybe. And it was two o'clock in the morning, and we were truly going around the clock. The horse show was much bigger than had thought. And one of the young ladies who was one of the ring stewards, and this is still paper and pencil days, said, Kathy, I need to go. I've got class in like three and a half hours. And I'm like, oh, this, this can't be that hard. I'll just sit here and scribe for my judge. And I had never done it before. And I'm sitting there and there was a horse on course in the Western riding course. And my judge is calling penalties and maneuver scores to me. And my judge is like, you know, plus half, minus one, so forth, so on, going. And this run starts to go a little bad. So my judge is minus one, minus one, minus one, minus one. And I said, ma'am, ma'am. And I wish I could remember who my judge was, but I just remember that it was a lady. I said, ma'am, you can't have any more penalties. You're out of boxes. And she goes, no, all of those penalties are in the same box. And then the exhibitor, you know, pulled up and two-handed and the, the run was over. But, you know, it. I tell any person that wants to ring steward that almost anybody can ring steward. You do not have to have a PhD to be a ring steward. You do have to be organized and friendly and willing. It's not a glamorous job. And you're out there, in most cases, on your feet just as much as the judges. And now technology has, you know, made it slightly easier for a ring steward in that you're not having to, you know, add everything in your head like you used to. But we're asking so much more to our amazing ring stewards. You have to juggle your tablet. You have to keep your sheets. You have to keep your ladders. Oh, you need to make sure that your judge's cards are in order. Make sure your judge doesn't get run over. But anybody that would like to get involved with it, I think being a ring steward or just help on a gate, it will open your eyes to 
understand that it there's so much more. I've had many people that have wanted to get their judges cards of various breeds. So they say, hey, can I come and scribe for you? And if I can make a hole for this person, I will. And so many people have come to me after the horse show and they're turning in their paperwork. And they're like, wow, I had no idea the amount of paperwork and checks and balances that go into an office that in a way it's rewarding because those days that there is an enormous amount of paperwork that someone else sees it. But, you know, it's a great way for someone to get involved that maybe can't go down the road and spend five, six days on the road, but where they could possibly ring steward for a day or two and learn a little bit more. And they may decide at the end of the day, hey, this is not for me. I don't want to do this. Or they go, wow, this was great. Can I come back and do it again? And then I've had multiple ring stewards that we have, you know, segued into putting them into the office and they've learned the software side of things and they have moved into being an announcer or vice versa. And there's so many opportunities for someone to get involved. You just, like I said, you just have to have a willing attitude and a friendly attitude. You spend hours upon hours with your judge. So you want to get to know your judge. And at the end of the day, you go, hey, can I get you a Coke? I know you don't like Diet Coke, but I know you like a Coke. And you build those relationships and those friendships. And if nothing else, being a ring steward, I know it taught me how to recognize, you know, say trail, for example, oh, that to me is a penalty half. No, that's a, that was a hard, I'm going to, you know, penalty one. And you learn so much about the events. And yes, judging is very subjective, but every person at some point will say, well, I don't know why the judge didn't see X, you know, X being Billy Bob, blow his lead, cheat, you know, split the pole, whatever. And when I say cheat, you know, check, check a rain or something like that. But then that ring steward will be talking after and they'll go, I was out there in the center of the arena and I didn't see it. So it's very eye-opening to be able to say, you know what? We didn't see that. And even though I was in the center of the arena, things either get missed you're in a corner that you don't see as well. So back to the original question, there are still places for people that, again, cannot go down the road, that they want to be involved, but they can't own a horse. They cannot show. And I think more people, if they knew that those opportunities existed, I think they'd be more willing to step up. What does it take for your side in the office to manage like the equine production team who how many people are typically involved with you at a horse show or how many people work with you on a regular basis and kind of what's that staffing like it honestly depends on the horse show for example since we're approaching the gold in the gulf coast and i am sitting here labeling scribe sheets at the gold coast there will be four people in the office and then on Specific days, we will have five arenas running. 
So, and that is including a split pen, left side, right side trail, but that still counts as two arenas. So if you think about it, the gold and the Gulf Coast are six judge circuits, which means every single round has three judges, which means there's three ring stewards with every judge. So on those days where we have five arenas running, you have got 15 judges. You're going to have that many ring stewards. You have got an announcer for every one of those arenas. You have a gate person for that every single one of those arenas. So is it, you know, that five ring circus? Absolutely. But with that said, some of the shows are two judge, three judge, single one and done type shows to where you don't need as much staffing. So it honestly depends on how many arenas are going at once. To take, for example, the big A, we've got three arenas running at one point. The Madness, same thing. We would have three arenas running at once. The upcoming Ocala's in April, there's two days at each of the Orange Blossom and the Sudden Impulse that we have five arenas running at once. And the just to make sure that the staffing is met, because you never want to understaff something because that tends to affect the ability to get things done. But at the same time, you want to be very conscientious of a budget. You don't want to have people just standing around. As much as you would like to have a thousand people to be able to, hey, run these sheets to the gate, you know, you can't necessarily justify paying someone to run that that paperwork to the gate. So the volunteers are still very, very important. The gold in the Gulf Coast coming up. I've got people coming. I've got several Texas A&M students that have been with us several times that are coming down to, or coming over, I guess would be the better term, to help be ring stewards. I've got some great people out of Ohio that are coming, some great people out of Florida. So it's not necessarily always staffed by someone in the area, but you just find people that, you know, A, they're available. Would I love to have the exact same people working every single horse show? Possibly. The people that are my support staff, we go down the road, we meet at an airport and, hey, let's go to the car rental. We'll meet you there. And you hop in the car rental and you head towards the horse show. So people on my team, we've got Texas, Georgia, a couple of people in Georgia, Illinois, Missouri, someone else, Indiana. I've got a couple other Texas. So it truly just depends. You don't have to necessarily have a home base since so much of it is done with a computer and is to a point online. You know, I've, I've got equipment in Florida. I've got equipment in Georgia. I have equipment in Texas so that you hope, you know, you can fly and not have to drive, but you just, you make it work. And volunteers are so still important to our industry. Have you seen a decrease in the amount of volunteer? Are people willing to volunteer in this day and age compared to when you started? Absolutely. It's not that they get bored with the job by any stretch. There's still that enjoyment. It's just that a volunteer 
is not necessarily going to want to spend 10, 12 hours at the back gate in the sun, possibly in the rain, maybe if we don't have a roof, that's, you know, you go, oh, 12 hours and I could have been doing whatever. So absolutely, the volunteers have decreased. Some of them have gone away. There are volunteers just as simple as walking showmanship. It's not a glamorous job by any stretch of the imagination, but roles like that are still very critical. But, you know, the back gate person in our case has got a tablet and they have to make sure that if there are 10 horses in the arena, that the 10 horses that are in the tablet are the same 10 horses. Because at the end of the horse show, when I send off my results to either AQHA or APHA, I need to know exactly which 10 horses were in the arena. Or if Susie Q is riding the horse, I don't have it as John Doe, you know, to make sure that in the day now of all of the team Wrangler participation, that the person riding, especially for those trainers, they get the recognition for their team Wrangler. So, you know, other shows that are like a pre-entry type show, the back gate isn't going to change as much. And the reason I say this is because if you've made pre-entries, you've you've declared your horse, you've declared your rider, but at a weekend horse show, of which the majority of our horse shows are, the rider can change as you're jogging into the arena. And you have to be aware of that. And there are still days that if I'm at the back gate and, you know, I look down and go, Susie Q is riding. Oh, wait a minute. That's not Susie. That is. And you're like, oh, God, OK, I can I can think of this person. And then you stand next to so and so at the rail. You go, hey, help me out. Who is that? And you have to find them and change them and and go from there. But the plastic totes that I referred to earlier, I have to keep all of my paperwork in the event that there is a question. So I can go to the barn and I can pull out that show and I can look at my paperwork and go, nope, that's who was the exhibitor. That's that. Yes, that horse was in there. And those classes that are scored are obviously a lot easier to double check your paperwork. But, you know, the volunteer isn't necessarily going to want to stand at the gate, run the tablet, check off on the paperwork. When is my draw? When is my draw? When is my draw? But that volunteer will walk showmanship, that volunteer will run and get the drinks. So there's so many roles that can still be filled. What do you think your team has done best since you took over the business to enhance the show experience for people? Something you can pat yourself on the back about? Well, it's not so much pat myself on the back because I have some amazing people that work alongside of me. And it truly is a team atmosphere because if someone in the office isn't doing their job and someone at the back gate isn't doing their job. The experience that we are trying to provide for our exhibitors is dampened. And you want to make this very expensive hobby because it is a hobby for the majority of our industry. So many people still have a traditional nine to five job or they're in school, or they're a youth exhibitor, you know, college or whatever, and they're having to get back to work or school or where else. And we want you at the end of the day 
to not go, gosh, I just wrote a check to the show for a lot of money and I did not enjoy myself. And when you can have a welcoming smile, you can learn who your exhibitors are and joke with them or know that their dog is Bob. Hey, Bob, you know, come here. That goes a long way. And you have got to learn, you want to learn who, that there's more than just a back number to an exhibitor. Yes, you might be back number 100, but you're also Jenna or Liz. And hey, Jenna, you're coming up in the draw. And you try to, for those exhibitors that do show with a trainer, we still have a lot of DIY exhibitors out there, but you try to go, okay, this trainer is Bobby. Hey, Bobby, your kid's coming up, you know, so that you provide that personal type of relationship. And it's kind of rewarding because at the end of the day, if I can be walking down the sidewalk by one of the arenas and I can look up and I can see someone that I don't see on a regular basis, but I can remember their name, that meant something to someone that, hey, I haven't seen Kathy for a year, but she remembered my name. Or I remembered that, you know, one show, it just went to pieces, but she had a cold water for me at the gate. And that goes for anybody who is at the back gate or in the office. If you can remember little tidbits about someone, that makes them feel special. They didn't have to win the class, but you know what? They got their name called. They got their name recognized. And little things like that go so far to providing value in our industry. And at the end of the day, it's not about me. It's not about tagging Kathy on Facebook of a great horse show because it took a team effort to get it done. And there's so many little cogs that go into making that successful that, you know, at the end of the day, I just want you to have a good time. And hopefully it's ended at a time where you can go back and if all you want to do is sit down at your stalls and eat a sandwich that maybe you blew the dust off of, or you can go and sit at a nice restaurant with cloth napkins. At the end of the day, we're all going to talk about our day and we're going to talk about, oh, this was fun or, oh, I had a great run and I can't wait to do it again. And when you can't wait to do it again, that means that the chances of you coming to one of our horse shows has improved. That means that our industry as a whole, we can keep it going and we can keep people wanting to go down the road and be excited. How do you handle exhibitor feedback and suggestions, given that you are usually hired by a club or organization and they're obviously the ones that control the budget overall? So what has that process been like for you guys? For the most part, the shows that we have on our roster, the schedules that are there we have found that it works. The phrase, if it ain't broke, don't fix it type thing does apply. You had a schedule from last year, a couple of years ago, whatever it might be, that it didn't work for whatever reason. And 
If you can appease the masses, the schedule works. And we all have a little bit of a self-serving nature. And you will always want to say, hey, why don't you do X? Why don't you put this class in front of this class? And it may be something that, you know what? I've never thought about that. That could work. Or just the opposite, I can be able to say, we did try that a couple years ago, and this is what happened. And that person will go, oh, I didn't think about that. And it's not ever a situation that someone should ever feel like they cannot provide criticism because you got to take it. Some days you are the person that your rear end is getting chewed. And it's not always easy, but oftentimes if you can let a person just vent and why isn't this schedule like this? This isn't working for me. And if you can just let them get it off of your chest, then they're happy. And then you can sit down and you can say, you know what? That's a great idea. And I will take it back to the club or the association and, and present it. And sometimes it can get incorporated. Sometimes it can't. But I will draft up a schedule and I will send it to the club or the association and they'll go, oh, okay, yeah, that works. Or, oh, could we change it to this or this? So much into a schedule goes into your staffing. Do you want to start all arenas at eight o'clock? Because that makes it possibly harder on the facility getting the tractor drags arranged. Or if someone is setting trail, then you've got to make sure that you've got enough people to get the trail course set, but also make sure that you've got the hunter arena set. So collaboration with the groups, very, very important. And yes, it is about the budget, but making sure that it does work and the schedule works. And I never want an exhibitor to reach out to me via phone, email, text, just in person. I'm sorry to bother you. And I will always say to that person, you are not bothering me ever. I don't want you to think that way because if you're not here at the horse show, I don't have a job. And if you've got a concern or you are frustrated, then you're not going to have a good time. And at the end of the day, I have to be able to justify my paycheck and it helps them feel more involved with the horse show. And the associations that hire us, most of them do step back and they just let us do our jobs. But some associations want to be hands-on and we welcome that because there's a lot of jobs that we can't do if we're at the gate or if I'm in the announcer's booth or one of my teammates are in the office. You can't just, oh, I'm going to leave the office and go do this. So each association and each club is different. Sometimes you don't want them to help. And I say that jokingly, but it would you know, be easier to hire a professional or a skilled ring steward versus, hey, my grandma really wants to be involved. Can she scribe? And you don't want to be that negative Nelly 
But, you know, at the same time, you're like, oh, could I put you into this role instead? So it's a very long-winded answer, but it really depends on each group. That makes me think of, I know Liz had an experience sometime in the last few months where she was working one in show office and there were some or a couple of people that were just so rude yes. <laughs> and mean. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, people need to be kind to everybody at these shows. For gosh. Absolutely, Jenna. You're 100% correct. And Liz, you saw it firsthand is, you know, it's one thing if you're, say, running cross country, your own body is doing that work versus at a horse show you and the horse together have got to make it work. And you could blow a lead, you could pick up your pivot foot, you could knock a rail, you know, you let go of the gate, something like that. And it just comes raining down on you. And you don't necessarily mean to be rude or upset, but so many people are, they're just there and you want to unload on them. And at the end of the day, that person probably didn't mean to take it out on you, Liz, but they did. And you have to keep your smile on your face and you have to nod and you have to appease that person. And then if they leave the office, you maybe can go into the back room and go, ah! and but you got to put that poker face on. And I know that I am just as guilty as the next person that... There's been days where, you know, I'll roll an eye or I'll, I'll sigh and I'm like, okay, think about this, Kathy, think about this. And I'm not perfect. Nobody is, but they just want to be heard. And there will be someone standing next to that person going, hey, negative Nelly, it's okay. It's okay. Tomorrow's another day. Tomorrow you get to show it again. But just, you don't let them see you sweat. You don't let them see you get mad because that's what they want. But if you can make them feel like they were heard, at the end of the day, you've accomplished something. Is your fitness holding back your writing? Discover Write Fit Life. We tailor fitness coaching for writers. Balance writing with life, shed fat, and bid farewell to feeling overwhelmed. With personalized nutrition and fitness plans, boost your physical strength and mindset to add joyful years to your writing career. Be proud of who you see on the saddle. Plus, join our Fitness and Fat Loss for Equestrians Facebook group for free resources. Ready to elevate your writing? Visit RideFitLife.com now. Your fitter, happier writing life is just a click away. Right. I actually was thinking, and I know we've almost taken up that hour of your time, but working with the associations and those organizations you know, for a while now, you've built those relationships. Do you ever get to see like the growth of their shows? Do you see how many, you know, new exhibitors are coming in? What's your stance on that? Have we seen any shrinkage at these shows or? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Some shows, they do go down. The larger shows seem to be holding their own. And it can be a variety of reasons because they have a good time. It's a facility that they enjoy to go to. I'll take, for example, the Big A. The Big A with Georgia Quarter Horse is so known for their hospitality. And I can throw the madness in on this as well. Both of Georgia Quarter Horse and Southern Ohio Quarter Horse, there's water at the arena. There's a party. There's a breakfast every day. And it's not so much necessarily about the competition and the great numbers, 
but that there was something to do in addition to that. Now, with that said, we were just at a show in Perry, Georgia, a full weekend ago, and it was a smaller show, but we had two exhibitors that it was their very first AQHA show, period. And AQHA has started a program for, and I'll use that term with quotes around it, that if you are a first-time exhibitor, you're asked to fill out this very simple form in the show office. And then once we turn in our show results, this form goes into it. And AQHA is going to send them a small gift in the mail. But so many horse shows, we're losing that first-time exhibitor. We're losing that entry-level exhibitor for a variety of reasons, cost, whatever. But super excited about this with the first-time exhibitor. We had a young lady that I had said at the Perry show, I said, hey, if anybody can help pick up trail poles, you know, it'll go a little bit faster. And we had a lady that jumped in and I'm like, who is this? Who is this? And I, you know, said, hey, are you from the Georgia area? And she told me where she was from. She goes, this is my first time here. You guys have been so friendly and so willing. I can't wait to go again. And that meant a lot to me because not only was she helping to pick up troubles, but here's someone that she was there by herself for the most part. She had someone that was kind of helping her with the groom tote, but she jumped in and wanted to know a little bit more and she wanted to be more involved. And we encouraged her, you know, Hey, hopefully you'll come to another Georgia show. And she goes, Oh, I can't wait. I've already signed up for my Georgia membership. And while we may not get someone like that at every single horse show, AQHA's willingness to do this small gift and have this form when, you know, four, six weeks down the road, when they're going to get something in the mail. And I know that anytime you win that first, say, championship trophy or your level one belt buckle, and you get that in the mail, you know, as we're approaching the holidays, it's kind of like Christmas again. And, oh, wow, I got insert whatever that is. And the smaller shows are struggling because those smaller shows cannot necessarily afford professional show management, but they are so critical to making all of the other shows work. And, you know, we've got to maintain them because of say the level one shows for the quarter horse or the national shows for APHA We've got to give them a platform to strive for. And being able to recognize these first-time exhibitors are so important. Scott Newman, who was on my team and is now at AQHA. Scott, I hope when you listen to this, you won't be too upset with me, you know, releasing a little bit of a tidbit that you'd shared with me. But last week he had texted me while we were in Georgia that they sent out nearly 270 L1 buckles. So people that had l wand out or noviced out, if you want to use the old term, and that was almost 100 more than previous year. And they were six months ahead on getting them sent out. And 
you see all over social media of, I got my level one buck buckle. And they are so proud of that. And when they feel rewarded, it makes you feel good because indirectly you had a piece of their success. And I mean, I'm working on the fall championship at Ocala Showbill. It's on my desk and I'm trying to make it work so that everybody that wants to attend that fall championship can also attend the Quarter Horse Congress and have, you know, two, three, possibly a week long break between the two events. And we are going to be offering a $100,000 senior trail class at the fall championship. And that is just unheard of. And you hope at the end of the day that maybe this first time exhibitor that got to feel special at a weekend horse show, that maybe they are going to come and someday either own a horse or show in that $100,000 trail class. Is it going to happen tomorrow? No. But if they feel welcomed enough, they're going to come back. And whether you're showing paints, quarters, pentos, buckskins, we're involved with the IBHA World Show, you want them to feel special. And if that special feeling was winning the class, great. But there's value and there's appreciation. As we kind of wrap up here, I think, well, first of all, that's all very, very well said and something we all can take away from this for sure. But what are your long-term goals for equine production? And if somebody was interested in getting into the show management or show office, work, show, volunteer, whatever, what would you for advice for those types of people? Sanity. <laughs> Patience, sanity. <laughs> sanity, yeah, sanity. And a sense of humor. You know, just you spend so much time together in the office and going from point A, you know, whether it be leaving the hotel at 630 in the morning to get to the grounds or it's 10 o'clock at night. If you're all still getting along and enjoying the horse show, then it's a good day. And, you know, reach out to us. Hey, I'm going to be at X show. Is there something I can do to help you? I would like to tag along. I would like to learn more about this. And if you're willing to spend the day in the trenches and, you know, help, we can possibly find a job for you as a volunteer that maybe could turn into a job. And if I don't have a job or role for you, maybe I can suggest you contact Pat Cress or Heidi Lang or Vanessa Lay or Christian Dantig or someone like that, that, hey, maybe they need someone in that area. And there's so many places that we can use a person. We just have to know about them. I had a phone call this morning. Hey, what's your thoughts about this person? Oh, wow, I hadn't, but now I want to reach out to them. So just because they're not on my radar or my team's radar, don't hesitate to reach out because we want you. We want you to discover that, yes, it's a great job or no, it's not a great job. And ask, 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 ask. And do you have any future goals or aspirations? for the, your company? Making it work. I'm at a point where I have given up some horse shows that we had in 23. I've given up some horse shows for 24. 
just to kind of scale back a little bit, three circuits that we have given up and they are great people that we have stopped going to their shows and I wish them all the success. But I have found that if you can not try to spread yourself so thin, you're not as stressed or you're not trying to play catch up. But we always want the horse show to be one stall bigger, one entry more than we had last year. I mean, that's everybody's goal is to make it just a little bit bigger. But at the end of the day, we want to finish on time. I want to go and have dinner. Sleep is very important to me. So I want to be, you know, go to bed at a reasonable time. I don't want the trainers frustrated. So goals and aspirations, we want you to just enjoy it and we want to be there with you and celebrate. Very good. If anyone is interested in reaching out to you or asking you a question, what's the best way? Where can they find you? You can go to our website. If anybody ever asks, I say and, like and without the D, anequineproduction.com. You can email us through the website. You can text us. I don't always catch Facebook inbox messages as quickly. But, you know, my phone number is smack center of the website and you can always call me. You can text me. Always reach out because, again, I want there to be open communication and you feel special. Perfect. Well, thank you for your time. That's all I got. Liz, got anything else? No, I appreciate your time and insight, though. It was very. Thank you, Liz. Thank you, Jenna. I appreciate the opportunity and. We look forward to seeing you at a horse show, whether it's the upcoming Tampa's or Cloverdale or Bryan, Texas or Las Vegas. We want to see you. We do. Yeah. You make me feel more excited to go (laughs) to a horse show. I'm like, you make this sound pretty, like a lot of fun. Let's go. Well, you know, at the end of the day, there's one thing I cannot control and that is mother nature. And if I could, I'd probably be a very, very wealthy person, but I can't and I'm not. And if I can make everything else work except Mother Nature, then I am successful and my team is successful. And if anybody has that 1-800 number to Mother Nature, please call her and let her know that we really need 70 degrees, blue skies and no flies. (laughs) Well, you are headed to Tampa in December. So jealous. Yeah. Yep. I'm looking very forward to it. I loaded the truck over the last couple of days while the weather was good. And I cannot pick up a hitchhiker on the way down because I don't have room. And we're looking forward to seeing almost 1200 stalls in Tampa, Florida with people from all parts of the country. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, enjoy the warm Florida sunshine for all of us. I appreciate it. Yep. Yes, Thank ma'am. you. Thanks, ladies. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. That'll be your class. Bring them in and line them up.